Good morning, everyone. My name is Amy Winkle. I am the rector here at Emmanuel, and just so thankful to be here in the house of the Lord this morning to get to worship together. <clears throat> this morning, we are um, finishing up our study of the book of Philippians. So we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4. So if you want to turn there with me, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to be in verses 4 through 9. So let's read together. And then we'll pray, and then we'll see what the Lord has to say to us through the text. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. And the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. <clears throat> well, Lord, we just give you thanks for your word and for the time that we get to spend together unpacking your word together this morning. And so, Holy Spirit, would you come and enliven our minds and enliven our hearts we thank you, Lord, that this letter from Paul from so long ago, talking to the church in Philippi, speaks to us as well. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, would you come and do your work this morning in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So as Paul is coming to the end of his letter here in chapter 4, what we see is him getting pretty practical about what he wants to say as he finishes out this letter to the Philippians. He's spelling out for them, kind of unpacking more some of these important themes that he's been talking about throughout the letter. Specifically, we've talked about how he, he was like holding up for them this idea of living lives that are worthy of the gospel and what it means to be citizens of heaven and so now I think he's taking an opportunity to kind of unpack that even further, to say if we are meant to live lives that are worthy of the gospel, if we are in fact citizens of heaven, then what, what does that matter? What does that look like? How does that impact our day-to-day -day lives? And so in this passage, we see a lot of imperatives. So that's one of those things like when you're like breaking down the text that you look for, instructions that he's like, he's giving them, telling them, do this and do this and do this. And so these imperatives sound like this. Rejoice in the Lord. Be gentle. Do not worry. Make your requests known to God. Think on things that are noble, good, and praiseworthy. And keep doing the things that you have learned. Now, when we break the text down like that into these different imperatives, it can be easy for it to seem kind of Pollyanna, like we're not really meant to live in the real world, so to speak. 
But I want to remind us one of the things that John Michael talked about last week when he was talking about how um, our faith is not an escapist faith. It's not about putting our heads in the sand. But instead, what we find is this invitation to actually engage more, to lean in more to what's happening in the world, to not be just kind of have our heads in the clouds, but be very much aware of what is happening while also being aware of the kingdom of God. That the true reality of this world is not just what we can see, but also what we can't see. And there's a reality in that as well that we can base our lives in. And so Paul's call to the Philippians and to us here is not to deny the hardship of life, but instead to look to Jesus who has overcome it. And so we hear Jesus' words in John 16 when he says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, Jesus says. I have overcome the world. So let's look at Paul's instructions as he walks through the text. So first, the first thing he says to us in, in verse 4 is he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. So as we think about this instruction from Paul, I think it's important again to remind, remind ourselves where Paul is sitting. He sits in prison, and yet he is calling the Philippians to rejoice. We assume that means that he is rejoicing as well. But how in the world is that possible? Would that be our experience if we were where Paul is now? And yet, that is what he's calling for. It makes me think about um, in Acts 16 when Paul and Silas are arrested and beaten and put in prison. And Acts 16 records for us what their response was. It says that they were praying and singing hymns to God as they sat in prison. Obviously, they are not responding this way because they're excited that they're in prison, right? And, and I think that's not what Paul is talking about here either. Instead, there's this deep realization that no matter what the circumstances are that we find ourselves in, that God has not changed. And therefore, we can rejoice in the Lord. And I think that's the important phrase here in this text. It's not just we rejoice at, in everything, but we rejoice specifically in the Lord, in His goodness, in His mercy, in His patience, in His steadfastness. Paul has a deep sense here that there is always something to rejoice in when it comes to the Lord because our Lord doesn't change. And therefore, he is always worthy of praise. What God has done on our behalf through Jesus never changes. And therefore, there is always something that we can rejoice about. Not in some kind of escapist way, in some way of denying our circumstances, but in a way of saying that God and the reality of his kingdom is bigger and stronger and more real than whatever we may find ourselves in today. And so Paul can sit in prison and he can pray. And Paul can sit in prison and he can sing. And Paul can sit in prison and he can rejoice. And he can tell the Philippians also 
to rejoice in the Lord. Because what God has done on our behalf in Jesus is the same. Because God's ultimate plan and the reality of his kingdom is not under threat by the circumstances of this world. Paul knows that Jesus is on the throne even as Paul himself sits in prison. And he also knows and he tells us here that Jesus is near. And that is the reality that he can rejoice in. And so it's from that reality, the reality that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God and also that he is near to us. The reality that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father as he told us in chapter 2. It is out of that that then Paul can turn and give his next instruction which he, when he says, be anxious about nothing. Do not worry about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Don't worry about anything. How are you doing with that? I'm not doing so hot with it. I mean, even just this week, I can just look back on the last few days and catalog all the things I've worried about. Just this week. And sometimes I can feel like praying is another way to worry. Anybody? Is another way for me to sit in the presence of God and ruminate over the things that I'm really worried about. And so sometimes prayer doesn't even feel very helpful because it's just another way to worry. I don't think Paul's words here are meant to be condemning in the sense of like, well, just don't worry about anything. You know, if you're worried, you're doing something wrong. I think they're meant to be words of freedom. What Paul is saying that life in Jesus is meant to set us free from a life of worry and anxiousness. That we don't have to stay in that place. That we are not meant to carry our burdens, our concerns, or our worries by ourselves. That was never the plan. Instead, Paul says... Let's lay them at the feet of Jesus and let go. Let your requests be made known to God. The reality is the, re the anxiety of the ancient world in many ways came from the fact that there were so many gods that they weren't always sure um, which, which gods you were meant to pray to and, and like what they actually wanted from you. And so there could be a lot of anxiety in the midst of the, that world in the sense of, okay, if I need to get my needs met, which God do I go to and what am I supposed to do? Um, and so I think what Paul is saying to them here is that the God that you've witnessed in Jesus is different than that. Paul could say to them, you don't have to be anxious about who these gods are and how to get your needs met. Instead, you can see who Jesus, who God is through Jesus. And I think even though we don't live in that same kind of polytheistic world, we can get that, right? Like a lot of our anxiety comes around our fear around not getting our needs met and not having what we need. And yet, the God that we see through Jesus tells us a different story. That he's intimately aware and involved in our day-to-day -day lives. And that it matters to him. 
that he cares for us. And so I wonder for us, and I want us to kind of sit with this today, this idea of what is it that keeps us from bringing then, if we know this God and we've seen him through Jesus, what is it that keeps us or inhibits us from bringing our worries, our fears, our doubts to him? Are you worried that they seem too trivial? Do we just not even think about it because we assume that we're on our own? And so I wonder what it says about what we believe about God, about who he truly is. Do we truly believe that God cares about what we are worried about? Do we believe that we can truly take these things to God? I mean, I feel it within myself, this sense of resistance sometimes around, I don't really know if I can take that to God. That seems so small or trivial. Or I'm not sure I really want to let go of that, if I'm really being honest. I can spend all my day worrying about something before it even occurs to me to pray about it. And the question is, why? Why does it take me so long to, then, to, like, to take something to God? Why is that not my first impulse? Is it because it's really up to me to kind of solve the problem? Is it that I just want to stay in control? Is it, do I think that it doesn't matter? I mean, I think all of those things, at least for me, are true. I don't know about for you. But if Jesus is on the throne, and at the same time, he cares about the details of your life and my life, then why not lay those things down at his feet? It may not change anything about your circumstances, but at least we'll know that we're not alone in it. I was thinking about this as I was reading the daily office for this morning, and one of the passages for this morning was in 2 Kings chapter 6 um, about the prophet Elisha. And, you know, like, I don't know if, if you're in the middle of, of 2 Kings, like, there's just wars happening all over the place, you know. So it's like all these different people coming against Israel. But there's this one where, like, this, there's this um, enemy and this um, army that has camped out now around Israel. And the, the passage says this, starting in verse 15. It says, When an attendant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And a servant said to Elisha, Alas, master, what shall we do? And Elisha said, Do not be afraid, for there are more with us than are with them. And then Elisha prayed, O oh Lord, please open his eyes so he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the servant, and he saw. The mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Israel was under threat of attack, but Elisha could see the reality of the kingdom and that they were not alone. And the same is true for you and for me. The promise here is not that all of our prayers get answered immediately or even in the way that we might ask. But the promise here is for something deeper. The promise is for the peace of God. And isn't that what we truly long for? It's just to feel at peace, to know that God is in control. That the peace of God, which transcends our understanding, would guard our hearts and our minds. The peace of knowing that we're not alone 
the peace of knowing that Jesus is in control, that he is on the throne, and the kingdom of God is not under threat. It may not change our circumstances. It may not even mean that we are safe from the difficulties of life. It may not mean that we don't cry out and grieve over the state of this world, especially by what we've witnessed this week. But we know that we are held and that the Lord is near. And therefore, we're given peace. As I sat with this text, I was reminded of um, a story that Wesley recounts, that John Wesley recounts. from He's a, an Anglican priest in the Church of England in the 18th century. And um, Wesley talks about this journey that he takes um, to Georgia. He actually comes from England to, to Savannah, Georgia in the 1700s. And as he sails across the sea, he comes into contact with um, this group of Christians from Germany called the Moravians. And the Moravians would go on to have a, a major impact in, in Wesley's life. But it starts here on this journey to Savannah. And so here's something that Wesley wrote in his, um, in his, in his, in his journal about this encounter that he has with the Moravians. So they're on the sea going to, to Savannah. And in the midst of it, this storm overtakes the boat. And everybody's kind of freaking out, except for these Moravians, they're, they have the peace of the Lord that, that, then, um, that Wesley takes note of. And here's how he describes it. He says, at seven, I went to the Germans, so those are the Moravians. I had long before observed the great seriousness of their behavior. Of their humility, they had given a, a continual proof by performing these servile offices and would receive no pay, oh sorry, for the other passengers, which none of the English would undertake for which they desired and would receive no pay, saying, it is good for their proud hearts, and their, sa- and their loving Savior had done more for them. And every day had given them occasion of showing a meekness which no injury could move. If they were pushed, struck, or thrown down, they rose again and went away. But no complaint was found in their mouth. There was now an opportunity of trying whether they were delivered from the spirit of fear as well as from that of pride, anger, and revenge. In the midst of the psalm, wherein their service began, the sea broke over, split the the mainsail in pieces, covered the ship, and poured in between the decks, as if the great deep had already swallowed us up. A terrible screaming began among the English. The Germans calmly sung on. I asked one of them afterwards, "'Were you not afraid?' And he answered, I thank God, no. I asked, but were not your women and children afraid? And he replied mildly, no, our women and children are not afraid to die. From them, I went to their crying, trembling neighbors and pointed out to them the difference in the hour of trial between him that feareth God and him that that feareth him not. At twelve, the wind fell. This was the most glorious day which I have hitherto seen. I point this out because I just think it's interesting. It's like we hear these stories in the Bible, and sometimes we think it's sort of reserved for them, right? Like this sounds like what happened to the church in the the book of Acts, 
this sense, and I mean, we just talked about it with Paul and Silas, this idea of them being in prison and yet singing. We know that they had shipwreck among shipwreck among shipwreck, and yet Paul like, was able to stand firm in his faith. And so I think sometimes it can seem like this otherworldly kind of thing or something that's not on offer to us. And so I bring the story of the Moravians to us to say it's on offer to us. Like these things can be true of us as well. The peace of God is for all of us. Freedom from fear is is for all of us. They were not afraid to die because they knew they were held by God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. God's work in us. And so what we see in this text is that all we're meant to do is just bring our request to God. And then it is the peace of God that is given to us. That he does the work in us and gives us his peace through the Holy Spirit. This week I've been singing that song, Gyra, a lot. I know we sang it last week, and so it just kind of stuck in my head. And that part, especially where it talks about the lilies of the field and the, and the sparrows. And so I want to read from us from Luke chapter 12, what Jesus has to say to his disciples. He said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And can any of you by worrying add a single hour to to your span of life? If then you are not able to do so, small a thing as that, why do you worry about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? Do not keep striving for what you are to eat and what you are to drink, and do not keep worrying. For it is the nations of the world that strive after all of these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, strive for his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Now, I don't, sometimes we can read these texts, and I don't know if for you, but for me, sometimes it can feel like a condemnation, like just stop worrying. And, but I, what I want us to see is it's not meant to be a condemnation. It's meant to be an invitation. And so what I want us to do is just to take a few minutes to sit before the Lord and to receive that invitation from Him. Of that He's saying to us, bring your worries to me. I really want you to bring them to me because I care. I care about what worries you. And I want to, to, like, to receive them from you and then give you my peace. So I just ask that you would get comfortable. And if, as you're comfortable, if you feel comfortable closing your eyes, I would invite you to do so. 
And I want us just to take a moment to sit before the Lord. I want you to imagine that you walk into a room and Jesus is sitting there. Or he could be standing. What do you see in his face? Now I want you to look down at his feet. And there in front of him sits a box that's open. And the invitation to you and to me is to just lay our cares into the box. And if your cares are for another person, I would invite you just to lay them into the hands of Jesus. Then I invite you to look at the face of Jesus again. And then I invite you to turn and walk out of the room and leave the things in the box before him. Trusting that he can take care of the things that are worrying you. God, we pray that you would make us into people who know you so well that we can lay our cares at your feet and receive your peace. That when the storms of life come, that we know that we're held by you. And the invitation is there always to bring our request to you because you care for us. And so God, whatever the resistance is within us, 
whatever the forgetfulness is within us. To bring these things before you. Would you just take those things away? And would you make us people of peace? In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.